So how did you go? Um, did you anyone get the whole of the Ten Commandments? Put up your hand, don't be shy. Yeah, a couple of people, I think. Um, any get in get them all in the right order? Absolutely important. God put it that way. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, I'm very glad that our two theological graduates down here got all ten, uh, though they didn't get them in the right order. Never mind. Um, I imagine that if you've been looking at uh, these passages over the last week, and some of you will have been in your salt groups, there would be a whole range of questions that have been raised uh, from this passage. And maybe some of them are a little troubling and you need to dig into it a little further. You need to try and work out what's going on, what's God saying, what does it mean for us. I need to apologise at the outset for apologising because they say you should never apologise in a sermon. But I'm going to be skating pretty much across the surface. Uh, what I've discovered as I've looked at this passage, and it's the first time in my preaching life, which is almost 40 years, that I have preached on Exodus chapter 20, is that what we're dealing with here could warrant very, very easily a 10-week series. Uh, so by very nature, we're going to be skating across the surface of this. But I want to try and help us to grasp some of the key things that help us to know as Christians what we should do with the Ten Commandments. And I think the first thing is that we've probably seen the Ten Commandments, even recited them or read them in abstract, that is, separated from their context. Uh, a number of churches that I've been in have them printed up on a wooden board or maybe even in an older church on a stained glass window. You have all Ten Commandments written there and sometimes they're memorised by the children or by the adults. And so we take these commands and we look at them on their own, but most of us probably don't realise where they fit into the Bible. Of course, they fit in a couple of places in the Bible. Here in Exodus chapter 20, they get repeated in, De in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And uh, you can read on as to why it is that Moses repeats the Ten Commandments just before they go into the Promised Land. Here they are, they've come out of slavery and they're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness and then we'll get them repeated again. But I'd like to put them back into the context with you and I think as we do that we'll discover some important things about how we should approach uh, reading and putting these into practice. So first of all, to get things in order, we need to see how they start. Um, have a look at verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord, and that's that Yahweh word, God giving his name, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The context for the Ten Commandments is critical. That is, God has kept his promise to save his people and he's brought them out of slavery in Egypt through the Passover, through the Red Sea, to be his people who will worship him. So the context, first of all, is that they must remember what the Lord has done for them. The context of the Ten Commands is that God has acted to save them. Now, I think that's particularly important for us to get a handle on because many people get things in the wrong order. 
There are many who I think would say, what is a Christian? Well, it's obviously somebody who keeps the Ten Commandments. And if you keep the Ten Commandments, then God will be pleased with you. And so he'll save you. But that's to flip it. God saves people and he calls them to be his people. And it's in that context that he gives them the commands. Remember back last week, we looked at uh, chapter 19 and these verses. Verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here is the job description with the Ten Commandments of a holy nation. That is, to be holy is to be set apart, to be like God. God is the holy God. And God, the holy God, is revealing himself to the people via Moses. And remember the scene last week, the mountain where you couldn't even approach God. God is displaying his holiness. And now he's speaking as to what it will be for them to live as his holy people. They will be different from the nations around about them. You'll be able to look at Israel and learn something about God. Very, very different to the Canaanites, very different to the Egyptians, very different to every nation under heaven afterwards. That is, God's people stand out. They're saved people and they will look different to those around about them because of their priorities, their values, the decisions they make, the choices that they live out will mark them as being God's kingdom of priests and his holy nation. And so the context of having been saved is to shape their psyche so that they now live as saved people. Now, there's a lot to this, but I'll just give you one example uh, just in this section that we're looking at that's quite specific. So in chapter 21, uh, 22, chapter 22 and verse 21, you can see this logic at work. Listen to this. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Just a simple logic, isn't it? Don't mistreat foreigners, because you know what it is to be a foreigner. And you know what it is to be mistreated. So because God has saved you from that context and treated you with mercy, by implication, take that on board. He's calling you to be his holy people, so you will now live that way. That's the gist of what we've got here. So rather than the Ten Commandments being a means by which people can be right with God, and I think there are many people today who, if you ask for a summary of what it was to be Christian, would say, oh, well, somebody who keeps the Ten Commandments. Mind you, if we were to then ask, well, do you know what the Ten Commandments are? I suspect that because we in a church couldn't even get 100% that most people would struggle to even know what they are, let alone struggle to keep them. No, God saves people and he calls them to be distinct and different and holy and they had to remember that that's their calling, that's their job description. So that's the context. Now, what can we say about the commands? Well, as you look through them, I think there are some things that hold them together. So, first of all, you, you've got uh, the first command, that is, they are to worship only God, to have no other gods. There's only one God. 
this, of course, in the ancient world is in contrast to the other so-called gods of the nations. But God is actually making it very clear that he alone is to be worshipped. Whether you call other things gods or not, there's only one God and only one creator God and only one redeeming God and only this God deserves to be worshipped. Second thing that we see here is that then you are not to make any image of that God or any other God and worship that. If there is only one true creating, redeeming God, then you don't want to construct another God to worship. Because by definition, it won't be a God. It won't be worthy of worship. Only the creator God is worthy to be worshipped. Third thing we see there is, hence, you are not to misuse the name of God. That is, God's name is his reputation. You don't want to be damaging the reputation of the one true creating and saving God. And then in the next instance, God has set a day, one day after six days, that is to be set aside for him. It's to be holy or set aside. It's the Sabbath day. For in the same way that God created the world in six days and rests on the seventh day, he brings that pattern and infuses the creation. And so God's people are to live with that pattern. They are to set aside a day that will be holy to the Lord. And we've already seen, haven't we, the implications of that. As they were in the wilderness and they were struggling for food, God said, I'm going to give you manna and I'll give it to you every day. I'll give it to you Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But I'm not going to give it to you on Saturday. You need to actually collect double on the Friday so that you can rest on the Saturday. You see, it's more than simply a pattern of life. Six days work, one day rest. It's reminding them that they need to rely completely and fully on God, to trust God. And so what we see here in the first of these four commandments is a focus upon the Lord. It's a focus on Yahweh. It's a focus on God. You are to love the Lord your God. Of course, as you move on from this, you discover that the focus shifts from God to those whom God has made. It shifts to other people. It, it says there, you shall not uh, murder, does it? Is that the next one? No, you've got to honour your father and mother before you don't murder them. Um, honour your father and your mother. It's focused on, on parents. Then don't kill people. Then... Uh, after that, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't covet. If the first of the four, first four commands are focused on the love of God, then the next six commands are focused on the love of people. And there's a sense too in which if you break any of the first four commands, then you're taking something away from God that is rightly his. His name, his honour, his reputation his supply and if you break any of the next six commands then you're taking something away from people the honor that your father and mother are due and keep in mind this is this is addressed to adults um, I, I know when Paul writes uh, his words in Ephesians he's talking uh, to younger children to obey their parents but I think the focus of what he's saying here is to adults that is adults you are to honor your father and your mother and you never stop doing that whether you're little whether you're older 
as you go through life, you continue to honour your father and mother. Your relationship will shift, it'll change, but it never is to be without honour. You're not to take somebody's life from them. You're not to take what's not yours in a sexual way from people. Either someone else's partner, your partner or a future partner. No, they're not to be taken. They belong to the person. Not to steal, not to give false testimony, not to covet. It's actually impossible, did you notice, to legislate all these things? And they're not legislated here. They're just told. God gives us these words. But how can you possibly legislate coveting? You can't know what's going on in the heart, can you? But God can and God does. And I take it if we go through this list and, and we somehow or other manage to find ourselves getting a pass mark, then we've probably failed to understand what's really going on in our hearts, as Jesus makes clear. What does Jesus do with these words? Well, he gets asked, and you can pick it up in Mark's Gospel, which is the most important of the commands. And Jesus' reply to this uh, teacher of the law is this. He says, the most important of the commands is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I think what Jesus has done there is he summed up the Ten Commandments. The first four being to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second, the second six commands are to love your neighbour as yourself. But Jesus does something radical even here. And that is many of these things say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, don't use the name of God in vain. Don't dishonour your parents. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say don't. He says do. Love. Do love. Love God. Do. Do love. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your parents. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your neighbours. Love your friends. Love your enemies, Jesus will go on to say. Well, there's an overview, I think, of the Ten Commandments, and it's been brief. I said it would be. But what do we make of this today? What, what can we do with it as people of the New Covenant, people who know Jesus, people the other side of history? Uh, well, there are many books, I think, that, that we would do well to explore, to give us an insight uh, into how Christians are to relate to the Ten Commandments, to the Torah, to the law. Uh, the book of Romans is a very important one. The book of Galatians is another. Uh, Hebrews is another. And most of the books of the New Testament will give us some connection. And I'd like to stay primarily with you in the book of Romans. And I've given you a few references there, and they're only just uh, little hints in this direction. There's so much more that could be said. But how do we as Christians uh, treat the Ten Commandments? What do we do with them? Are we under the commands of God? Are we under law as the people of Israel were under law? Um, do we keep them? Do we not keep them? Are they still relevant? Are they no longer relevant? 
or is their relevance a little different? Well, let's see what Romans has to say. And I think the first thing that we've got to realise when we look at the commandments is that if we want to live by them, we will discover very quickly that they condemn us. So let's uh, see what it says in Romans chapter 2. And I'll read from verse 12. All who sin apart from the law, and he's speaking of Gentiles here, people who didn't have these uh, commands from God. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So he's saying, if you're under the law and you sin under the law, the law will judge you. But if you're not under the law, that is most of us, we're Gentiles, we won't be judged by not keeping the law because we're not actually under the law. But, he says, come down to verse 15, people who don't have the law, that is Gentiles, show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts because their consciences also bear witness and their thoughts sometimes accuse them and at other times defend them. So if, we've, if we're uh, a descendant of Abraham and we have the law and we read through this list of, of ten commandments, we'll very quickly see that we've not kept the law and we'll be judged by the law. If we're not a descendant of Abraham and we feel that we're separated from the law, we read through these and they'll still condemn us because our consciences will point out the fact that we've not lived up to it. Basically what it's saying. And so uh, this is a key verse in Romans because it's, it's kind of the pivot between the bad news and moving into the good news. In chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. That is, it's not the way to get right in God's sight because you'll never measure up. But, he says, um, through the law we become conscious of our sin. What does that mean? Well, I think it means when you read the Ten Commandments, it gives definition and shape to the failures that we live out. So, yeah, I envy other people. I get angry with other people. I, I, I forget God at times, or I think it's all up to me. The law condemns me because of that, whether I am under the law or whether it's just my conscience bearing that out. But there is good news. So the law condemns us, but it points us to the need for a saviour. And so in Romans 3.21, the very next verse, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. 
and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So the law demands obedience or there's death. Jesus fully keeps the law, completely. Is that right? What a surprise. Jesus fully completes perfectly the law of God in his life. And so he is able to stand as our substitute, taking the judgment that should be on us himself, so that as we put our trust in Jesus, we can receive his righteousness. So if you want to trust in the Ten Commandments to be right with God, you're going to fail. But if you want to trust in the only one in all history who's ever perfectly kept the Ten Commandments and who's died your death for you, then you have hope. So it's not sufficient to just say, well, I'm going to try and keep the Ten Commandments because you'll fail. But to look to Jesus, there is hope. Now, what then do we do with them? Well, Jesus actually opens up a new way. Remember last week how we saw that there was the old commandment and the old covenant, and because it failed, God is replacing it with a new covenant. Well, it's this new covenant that we see now being put into effect. So I'd like to take you further in Romans to chapter 7. And I'm going to read from verse 4 to 6. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, or the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The Ten Commandments were written on stone. In the new covenant, the law of God is written on our hearts by God's spirit. The new way of life is to live in step with the spirit of God. And in doing that, we live a life of love and that life of love fulfills the law. Come with me a little further to Romans chapter 13. And we see this language. Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. See, God's design for Christians is that we fulfill the law 
not by putting ourselves back under the written code, ticking off, have we kept it, have we kept it, have we kept it, but by focusing outwards by the Spirit of God to show love to God and to our neighbour. And as we do that, so we live what the law is intended to do, to transform people from the inside out. But the law in itself could never do that. The Spirit of God can take the law of God and transform us from the inside out. This will mean, as we live this way, that we become incredibly radical in our world. To live this way will actually involve us in a clash of worldviews with the people around about us. And that's a good thing. It's a very good thing for those around about us. The world needs Christians to be distinctive. They need us to be a holy nation. They need us to be a kingdom of priests. They need us to represent God to them because without us being like that, there is no hope for the world. God actually chooses us, as we saw last week, to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation, to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, to live such good lives amongst those around us in society that people see the difference that God makes. See, this is incredibly radical, countercultural stuff. What does our world say we need to get in touch with when it comes to spirituality? It says to look within, be true to yourself, be the authentic self, you do you. And God says, no, there's only one God and only that God is to be worshipped. Our world is pushing us to worship ourselves. But there is only one God. The commandment, number two, says we are not to make for ourselves any image, not to replace God in our lives by something that God has made. And yet our world does that in every way possible. It needs to see us as different. We're not to worship the things that God has made. We're only to worship the one who made them. Whether it's our careers or our relationships, whether it's our home, whether it's our bank accounts or our education, whatever it may be, we're not to make an idol of these things, not to give them a God place in our hearts and minds. And people will see the difference and they'll be drawn to those who are different. We're not to misuse the name of the Lord your God, which I think is a lot more than simply not saying, oh my God, or using the name Jesus Christ as a swear word. It's actually to live in such a way that we damage the reputation of God. When people look at you, when they look at me, do they see someone who's acting with love towards God and towards others? Or do they see somebody who's caught up with themselves. If we are to honour God with our lives, then we'll want to radiate the light of the love of God. We'll want to be salty amongst those that we mix with so that God's name will be honoured. To remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, again, it's, it's a lot more than just do you take Sunday off. 
In fact, the New Testament on, on this particular command says that some will consider one day to be more important than another day, but, but under Christ there is freedom. But yet I think there is great wisdom to be gained by recognising that, that God is the one who's created rhythm in life, six days to work, one day to rest. There's great wisdom to be found in the fact that the commandment to take a Sabbath actually has in mind the welfare of those who depend on us resting. Rest so that your family can rest. Rest so that your manservant or maidservant, if any of you happen to have them, might be able to rest. If not, then your ox or your donkey or the other people that are working with you, that they might rest too. But it's more than just resting. It's actually recognising that God is the one who will make us satisfied and secure. Go back to the manner in the wilderness. The Sabbath meant I will trust God and it's not up to me. I can't make myself secure. Only God can do that. Give us today our daily bread. Let us be content with what, gives, what God gives. Honour your father and your mother. We, we, we live in a world where where it's becoming incredibly ageist around us. I know in other cultures and other parts of the world, there's a great deal of respect for elders. And yet in our society, we seem to have increasingly found ways to, to push elderly people out of our lives so we can get on with the life that we prefer to live. I worry about that in relationship to the euthanasia legislation and so on. The people might become inconvenient and whether it's the family or whether it's the person that doesn't want to be a burden to their relatives anymore might be tempted to see that their own life is worthless. You shall not murder. Do we harbour violent thoughts? Do we plot another's downfall? Do we get overcome by our anger? It's interesting, isn't it? You take out do not murder, do not commit adultery and do not steal and do not bear false testimony and you've got no plots for Netflix. What are you going to watch? David Attenborough. Nature red in tooth and claw. You see, the world is very different to God's commands. God's commands have to do with with honouring life, not taking life from people. You shall not murder. We're, we're horrified at what we see going on in other parts of the world, whether it's in um, the Ukraine or whether it's in parts of the Middle East or parts of Africa. And yet the most dangerous place to be on the world at this stage, is in the womb. Do we honour life? You shall not commit adultery. Jesus made that a little harder, didn't he? So it's not just about sleeping with somebody who's not your wife or your husband. He said it's thinking lustfully towards him or her. And again, our world thrives on and... So much of our economy is driven by pornography. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. On the phone, on the tablet, on the TV, on the computer. 
And our, our young children are growing up with this. Part of the mainstream, what was considered, uh, well, it needed to be wrapped in a brown paper bag 30 or 40 years ago. It's just there for everybody to see. You shall not steal. Jesus and Paul made that a little harder too. It's not just taking something, it's got as much to do as the greed that wishes we had it. And so it falls into coveting and telling the truth. You shall not covet. Interesting one to finish with, isn't it? It's that if only trap. And it's that if only trap that creates the template, if you like, for every reality TV show there is. You can be better if you have a better home and garden. You can be better if you have a better appliance. You can be better if you have a better holiday. You can be if only, if only, if only, if only I have what they have. Friends, these commands are really quite radical in our world. We've got to see that this is a call to countercultural living. And as we seek to live this way in the power of God's Spirit, let's pray that people see the difference and are attracted to it. And let's encourage each other to persevere in being different because it is very literally swimming against the tide of our culture. And there'll be pressure not to. So stay in the word of God. Stay in the fellowship of God's people. Come before God in prayer and ask for his help. Let's pray now. Our Father, we know that if this was a report card, we would fail. And we thank you that if it's a report card for Jesus, that he gets outstanding results. And we thank you that he was willing to step into our place and pay the price for us. And so let's not forget our salvation. Let's not forget our saviour. And please help us to be people who are different because we're like you and to work hard at presenting you to those around about us through living in this countercultural